everyone welcome back to another episode of don't be so dramatic my name is rachel and this is the podcast where i talk to different people in the entertainment industry to discover what their job involves and how they got there (laughs) this week i have with me linda nichols gidley she is a voice coach an accent and dialect coach um, for the film and television and theater industries this is a very interesting episode if you have ever wondered what a voice coach does they do many many things and they are very very knowledgeable people about the voice and all of the muscles to do with the voice and how to use our voice um, for characters Um, Linda has worked on many many different touring productions in Australia and she's also worked on a lot of local theatre as well she's done some major films um, including Mary the Making of a Princess and Jungle Um, it was really lovely to sit down and chat to her because she is such a lovely person but also because she she knows her stuff she's been coaching for a very long time Um, she's coached at NIDA Actors Centre Wollongong where I went to uni and studied performance how exciting. Um, so yeah, I, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I certainly did. Um, side note, what is going on at the Hub at the moment? So the Hub Studio If you don't know by now, it has many different classes for actors and people in our industry to come and study with some of the industry's best. Funnily enough, Linda is one of the coaches who coaches at the Hub Studio, which we do talk about um, in the podcast. She is currently holding a voice um, class at the Hub, but she will be holding an American Accent Masterclass in September and October, which I would highly recommend to sign up to um, because being on top of your American accent if you're wanting to do international work is important and Linda is very good. (laughs) Um, What else is happening? Angus McLaren who is an actor who has been in such things as Packed to the Rafters, Home and Away. He currently has a film coming out called The Naked Wanderer which is going to be awesome and is an Australian feature film. Um, He is holding an um, film audition masterclass in September and October Um, so he would be amazing to learn from because clearly he knows how to Acer Film Audition. <laughs> Kriv Stenders is also doing a masterclass in October. Kriv is actually the director of the new film out called Danger Close. He also did all of the Red Dog films, um, as well as Boxing Day, Kill Me Three Times. He's a very he's a great director to work with. So um, he's doing a one day workshop in October. I am sure that's going to get booked out. So if you want to do it, you should jump on real quick. Oh, okay, I've said all that I've had to say, so now we can listen to the episode. So without further ado, let's jump in. Hi, Linda, how are you going? Uh, I'm really good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for coming in and being on the podcast. Um, so you are a voice coach, you teach at the Hub Studios currently, and you've Oh my goodness. So when I, I'm not going to lie, when I was looking at um, everything that you've done, my goodness, you've done so much stuff and so much amazing stuff as well. Um, so I'm very interested to kind of learn where it all kind of started for you with voice. And um, I know that you also teach accents as well and that sort of thing. So where did it start out for you in the industry? 
Well, um, I think like a lot of people, I trained as an actor first. Okay. And in those downtimes, you just go, what else can I do? What am I good at? Yeah. And I always had a, I don't know, felt okay doing voice and it seemed like a natural progression to Mm -hmm. go in to study voice. And yeah, I think it just kind of started there. I never thought it was going to be the thing that I ended up doing. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So how um, did you kind of get out of high school and think I'm going to study to be an actor and then do that and kind of then um, move more into the kind of voice area and get really into sort of that? Or Yeah, look, I, I, I went straight out of high school to drama training at uh, CSU in Wagga mm-hmm. and I graduated and I did the trying to be jobbing actor thing in Sydney in the oh, early yes. 90s. <laughs> In the early 90s. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, and it was a struggle. I mean, it, I, I think everyone understands how much of a struggle it is. And it, was a, it felt like a real um, knocking up against a brick wall mm. type thing. And it, it was just, yeah, it was a natural progression for me to go, well, I'm really good at this, so I'm going to go and study it and it will keep me afloat yes. while I keep trying to do the jobbing actor thing. And mm. eventually it just kind of took over okay so um where did you go to study specifically voice I went to NIDA and I did a year-long course there there's a course there now but it's very different to what I did back then Mm -hmm. we did a postgraduate diploma the new course is a a master's so yeah it was a year of um just focusing in on my voice and trying to work with young actors at NIDA. Yeah, for sure. You'd have to really be really loving voice in order to just focus in. Because, like, um, voice is a very kind of... It's one of the building blocks, you know, in a performance kind of um, toolbox, I guess. But um, to just kind of focus in on that, not only would you get very, very good at it, but you'd really have to love it as well. Because, like, day in and day out, you're just hearing about the intricacies of your voice and how to use it and how to train it and the different accents right there's just so much so I guess you really did find like oh I this is my thing kind of thing you know I had people say to me very early in my career I can't believe you want to be a voice teacher because I can't think of anything worse (laughs) no I know right and I was like oh okay that doesn't sound right um but it was a real it was a real shock to people mm-hmm. that there were people out there that did want to kind of really help other actors get good at what they were doing vocally and it's such it's such a personal thing for people mm. so there's there's so much more that goes into it than just the science and and the um you know the the OCD-ness of understanding what happens to phonetics and how you can apply them to accents and all the things that go along with that. There's a whole other level of pastoral care and um, sort of emotional um, support that comes with being a voice teacher that you don't even think about. And I think probably that's what they were alluding to when they were saying, why would you want to do that? Be a movement teacher, you know, those guys have it easy. Just do yoga. Yeah, just just teach yoga. That's right. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's not an easy thing to do. 
Um, definitely, I've, I've done voice training in the past and I know, like, I think, unfortunately, my automatic reaction with like with anything as being human is kind of like when you really focus in on doing something so intricate, you go, I don't want to. oh do I have to kind of thing it's so silly and you're just really shooting yourself in the foot um by doing that but I think that the voice is so important for everyone everyone talks well most people talk Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's just um it's crazy that we we kind of go oh as an actor do I really have to train my voice (laughs) I talk all the time (laughs) And I think there's a there's a real shift, and certainly in in my lifetime as a voice teacher. Mm-hmm. So this is, uh, and I'm considering life choices at this moment. <laughs> um, my 21st year of teaching, mm. um, that there's a real shift in technique from what used to be taught to what's going on now, and there's okay. a a difference in the way people are teaching voice, and I think it's actually much more targeted for the actor and the actor's voice it used to be and I say that in a sort of an odd way I think it used to be more about you need to say this correctly and um, this is the thing that you need to do and it was a bit nebulous you know just use your support yeah breathe from your diaphragm (laughs) ah Um, the diaphragm do, do this and everything will be okay if you build it they will come and it's actually less about that now and more about hey these are the muscles that you use if you use them properly then you will have a voice that's supported and you won't lose your voice and you know you'll have clarity and you'll have all those things that you want yeah definitely and you work a lot with um theater companies as well which i guess is specifically important with the voice because you are even though sometimes they're mic'd up you are projecting to a really big audience and so if you're not um properly losing your voice um you're losing your voice using your voice you'll lose your voice (laughs) right um so I I will say to actors who are mic'd even when they are mic'd you know the microphones are great but all they do is amplify what you give to them Mm -hmm. so if you sound like crap you will sound like crap louder (laughs) right true (laughs) so they don't they don't actually do anything for your voice really except make it louder i mean if we if we're talking about going into studios and things they can obviously engineer them so that you sound deeper more resonant all of those kinds of things but in in a theatrical context they're just looking for amplification Mm, yeah definitely so in terms of um accent training and that sort of thing obviously as australian actors and performers um we're often asked to do an american accent or a british accent because you know Everyone wants to go to America and make it. Right. Um, so in terms of the accent stuff, um, did that come hand in hand when you were studying um, voice at NIDA and you kind of um, continued that on? Um, yeah. So as part of that training at NIDA, we um, went through quite a few different vocal techniques. Um, and then on top of that, we learnt phonetics and we learnt how to... Um, instruct people in how to to do accents and dialects um my training in that then continued through my own exploration because I discovered that was a thing that I could do really well and that I really liked and um 
so and and he's continued so much so that I've just come back from the states where I've just done three weeks working in uh, dialect methodology from Amazing. over there. Right. So you're teaching the Americans how to be American. Well, <laughs> well, sometimes <laughs> yeah. and sometimes the other way around. Sure. Um, but they they have a technique called Knight Thompson speech work, okay. which I now am certified in, and uh, it comes back to again muscular usage but very specifically looks at oral posture and intonation of prosody and things like that so things that actors can really get a handle on so that they don't necessarily have to use phonetics yeah for sure okay um and so with the accent stuff I guess um you're going to be the first one to pick up if a word is wrong or that sort of thing and when you're listening to stuff it's kind of like I guess um, to not do it correctly, it's a real, it's a big telltale sign that you're not that nationality, I guess. Yeah, it's an occupational hazard, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, who's doing an accent? Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes you just have to turn your brain off. Mm. Um, but often, often what we're listening for is not whether a word is right or wrong, but whether it fits into the world of the play. So okay. in a lot of in a lot of places. We become dialect designers, so we're looking at how the world of the play fits together and how all of the voices fit in together. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Um, so in terms of that, it's almost like taking... I guess you would take all of the characters in, say, a play or something and look at uh, the way in which they speak and kind of go, okay, how is this going to... Kind of interweave as almost like a choreography of the voice so that it kind of um, fits together and the, the way that they're saying things. Even that, I guess, um, not even in accents, like in um, kind of, what's the word I'm thinking of? Inflections. Right. Um, that they, they're kind of, look. you're looking at the inflections as well. Obviously, sometimes that changes night to night when you're doing 400 performances of a play or something like that. Right. Um, but I think, um, is that kind of generally what you do look at in terms of all the characters together? Yeah, and I, I will talk to them about, um, you know, creating uh, a familial language so that if you have three or four members of one family coming together, yeah, that okay. they might have a shared sound or two in the play, um, whereas the other characters might not if they're all from different places or different families. Yeah. So there are things where we know when we're together with our families that we all say the same way or we have a similar inflection on something maybe mm. those kinds of things we can bring back into the world of the play and say okay well let's create that for this family in this time mm. for this play geez it's like just even that is so much work you know that goes into making a performance great you know it's not just it does not come down to just being a good actor no, well, and I can't claim that, you know, it's all my work. <laughs> I'm certainly there. <laughs> Just mostly. You know, I'm, I'm certainly there on the outside <laughs> saying to someone, oh, you know, maybe we can try this or, you know, how you did that, that was really great. Let's let's move that up a notch. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been really fortunate to work with lots of amazing actors who run with what I give them. So that's yeah. great. Yeah, great. And um, so in terms of – so you've um, got your own company. Um, yeah your voice coaching company 
um, when did that start up and uh, what was kind of when you got out of training um, to be a voice teacher um, what were kind of the steps that you then took in order to start kind of going okay well I can work on film and I can help out in this area and I can work in theatre and do this that sort of thing uh, I, I set up my company the year after I graduated because um, I went to work somewhere and they said we can't pay you unless you have a company name and I went oh. great <laughs> so I got a company name yeah. <laughs> straight away I was like well what am I going to call myself <laughs> um, so that that was kind of a weird like I just had to have it mm. uh, and then I, I think again I've been really fortunate in that a lot of the work that I get well the, a lot of the work that I got initially was word of mouth okay so at that at that point, so 1998, I graduated from NIDA, or I was I was at NIDA 1998, and we finished at the end of that year, and there weren't that many voice teachers around, mm. and so, uh, you know, myself and my cohort, we were really lucky that we we were starting to get work pretty quickly in mm. the following year, uh, and I I went back, and. Uh, was employed at NIDA the following year mm-hmm. as a casual. So helping okay. out on second and third year plays and doing dialects and voice coaching while Bill Pepper was overseas. So a lot of the work that I got initially was word of mouth, which okay. was great. Yeah. And initially probably much more voice coaching than there was dialect work mm-hmm. because at that stage... Victoria Malevska was at Sydney Theatre Company, so there was no work to be had there. And um, the independent theatre scene in Sydney was not what it currently is. <laughs> so there wasn't that much work going for dialect or accent people or even voice people mm-hmm. on on theatre shows around about the place. Um, so I started work at... Um, the Actors College of Theatre and Television. Mm-hmm. So I was working there, teaching voice classes. Mm-hmm. And then I started work at the Actors Centre Australia mm-hmm. and uh, the Australian Academy of Dramatic Art. So I was doing all of those three jobs all at the same time. Oh, my goodness. And then I was approached by the University of Wollongong. So I yes. was driving down there two days a week and doing the rest of the stuff up here during the other days. It oh, was, my God. It was craziness. I would finish, you know, one class at Actors Centre and run, you know, to get to ACTT for the next class, which was like half an hour later. So I was sort of running between Surrey Hills. There was no chit-chat after class. There was no chit-chat after <laughs> class. No, saying, so, Linda, could you just um, listen to me for a sec? I just <laughs> question. No. <laughs> yeah, right. And I would, I would get to Wollongong and I'd start my classes at 8.30 and I'd finish at 5.30. Oh, so yes. it was like getting everything in on the days that I could and sometimes working nights and weekends as well. Yeah. Isn't it funny when uh, like you become so busy like that but it's at something that you want to be doing. So it's this weird kind of like, I'm exhausted, mm-hmm. but I'm very satisfied at the same time. Yeah. It's this kind of interesting balance because you're like, oh, I'm so tired, but I don't want it to end. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah so I was basically full-time employed <clears throat> across, you know, three yeah. or four different employers. Amazing. Yeah. Um, 
So what was the, what do you think was the shift? Um, I guess because the industry is just growing in Sydney and Australia regardless. Um, but do you think that there was a kind of shift where people started to kind of um, uh, take into account that um, they wanted to bring on voice coaches for projects and productions and that sort of thing? Or was it just that the industry was growing? I think probably a little bit of both. And I would, I mean, I would hesitate to say that theatre companies on the whole are employing voice coaches Mm -hmm. because I don't think they are. Okay. So if a play is done in an Australian accent, it's really unusual, unless you're at one of the bigger companies, that there will be a voice coach attached. Um, And that's not the case in England, um, although they're... Some of my colleagues are saying they're struggling a bit over there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's probably not so much the case in America either. But again, it's a bit hit and miss. Mm. Um, but they are hiring accent coaches. And I think partly because everybody wants to do an yeah. accented play. Uh, and um, partly because they're necessary now yeah. to have someone that can be the outside ear. Yeah, definitely. That's interesting and I hope, I guess we're still in uh, the Australian industry which is still, um, you know, changing and learning and that sort of thing and I think it, you know, it is going to get better Um, and it is, you know, (laughs) it is what it is. but yeah, it's 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 very interesting. Um, I guess it also like it depends on the director and the producers of whatever project it is, as well as to what they kind of um, consider important. Um, and I'm, I guess, unfortunately, um, some people might not even know that voice is a thing. That oh yeah, that's that's something that your actors are gonna actually be using for the entire time in the project and you might want to get someone there to help them out with it you know so well the assumption is uh that you know if you've got actors who've been to any kind of bachelor program they've had voice coaching Mm -hmm. so therefore they do good voice work right and the same often with accent work you know you you hire an actor who has done a, a bachelor program they've done accent work therefore they can do all of the accents, which <laughs> Wrong. is not, it's not always the case, and that's no. not that's not their fault either. Yeah, um, I think what's really important in in this industry, and what I've certainly found, is that when you when people see the value, and you create a good relationship between directors and producers and voice people, then the product can be, and by the product, I mean you know the the production mm. can can actually be quite extraordinary when those those factors all work together yeah definitely and I guess um coming from an actor background as well it would probably um very much help you in terms of like piecing the voice together against what emotions you think are going to be kind of um employed by the actor in that line or in that scene kind of thing and so then you can also I'm sure that the actor thinks about it and goes but I guess you can think about that deeper and kind of understand it's like when you have a director who you know did acting training as well they bring out a very different product in actors as to someone who 
um, hasn't trained as an actor. And that's not necessarily saying that directors have to train as actors in order to understand our minds. <laughs> but I think that it, it kind of does help, you know, um, to understand why that actor is going down that path, you know. I think it's also really important to to allow the actor space to find that themselves. Mm, yeah. Because my job, my job really is as a, a guide for the actor. Mm. You know, try this exercise. Let's see if that works. Can you feel the difference? You know, I'm I'm kind of guiding them through finding their own process rather than trying to, you know, thrust a technique <laughs> upon them. Yeah, sure. And I think that's really important for actors to feel agency within that process. Mm. And I certainly would have liked that <laughs> and, and actually probably really received that yeah. you know, in my training. Yeah. Well, otherwise you could just really employ anyone and tell them exactly what to do right. and they could probably do it. That doesn't work it. though, right? No, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. Actors are a funny bunch. They don't like being told what to do. Yeah, strange. <laughs> it's as if they want to be the centre of attention all by themselves. Who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So in terms of um, uh, your acting teaching um, here at the Hub and also um, through your company as well, um, how did you go about kind of coming up with the, the points um, it, to teach people? Um, basically, was it similar? I, I guess it wasn't similar to what you were learning at NIDA because you're also learning how to, you know, be a teacher and a coach and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, how did, how did you kind of come up with the curriculum and looking at, okay, what, what do I actually like want to kind of teach and what's the integrity behind it? I think, um, the long story would be that I taught what I was taught until I realized that there had to be something new Mm -hmm. and that there had to be a new um, idea or that that things were changing and I thought that what I was teaching needed to change with it Mm -hmm. so um, I you know I'm a, a great believer in books I love books and so I read a lot and I have a lot of books on my shelf that maybe I haven't quite read all of, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've you know that I've dipped into to mm. find new things. So I'm really I'm always really keen on my own education and the re-education of of what I teach, because I think that without re-examining what I teach, I can't actually be a good teacher for new people who are coming through, mm. who are getting different techniques and different experiences. So what I'm doing is always moving and changing. So that's kind of the long story. <laughs> um, in, in the shorthand, what that meant was just really looking at how I started to teach the information and I started to veer further away from what I felt was more of a corrective type technique. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, lent into the idea that if we have the right musculature, which we all do, and if we have the right awareness of that musculature, which we all can, then 
everybody can use their voice in a, an optimum way. Sure. And that works into dialect training as well. Yeah. So if you have the awareness of you know, what your muscles are doing, then you can change the shape of your mouth, which means that you can actually start to make different sounds, which means you can do that in an embodied way. You don't need to think about putting voice work or dialect work on as a mask. Sure, yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I know, like in terms of um, yoga and the movement of the whole body, um, often you'll hear like, um that you know this this is this is the way that you do this position but obviously some people are kind of in their bones and muscularly built kind of differently and so their shape is going to look a tiny bit different to someone else's shape is that kind of the same in terms of um the voice and the mouth muscles and that sort of thing yeah absolutely you know we're barring any kind of physical impediment we're all built the same way. Mm -hmm. And so if we're talking about uh, your vocal tract compared to mine, we're probably just talking about you know, differences in size or thickness of vocal folds or you know, the width of the tongue or how elastic the soft palate is, those kinds of things. But it's all physiological. There is nothing that I teach that people can't do because it's part of their body. Sure. And I guess, um, well, I mean, it's all, it's all muscles. So right. it, it does just take time and time again training. Mm -hmm. um, do you find sometimes um, that the, sometimes like the, the blocks that are stopping people from progressing in their voice training uh, comes down to like an emotional thing or some sort of um, emotional attachment to something that is just they were completely not aware of or were aware of yeah there's a there's a great quote that I use and I read it like very very early on in my my career which was people think you are what you eat but you are how you sound and <laughs> um, that that goes for, on a lot of levels one that when we hear somebody we make a, a bunch of you know arbitrary kind of judgments let's say or um, you know we get ideas about who that person is just by listening to them also as part of that we present to people what we want them to hear oh yes <laughs> and so, and so if, if I'm talking to someone and they're having a real um, difficulty shifting their voice to go to a different accent mm -hmm. Sometimes that can be because their identity is caught up in the way that they sound and they don't want to sound a different way because it makes them feel uneasy or it makes them feel vulnerable or it makes them feel like they're being false, which is not what they want to do when they're acting. So there's, there's that kind of emotional and psychological barrier that often comes up. Yeah. Well, no wonder voice teaching is hard because you're almost <laughs> become a therapist as well. Yeah, I try, I try yeah. not to. Yeah. You deal with that at yeah. home mm -hmm. and then come back and we'll work on this. Great. Thanks for the tears. Now off you go. <laughs> yeah. I've got to get to my other class. <laughs> right. Um, it's always very interesting uh, to hear from 
I think people who are uh, very learned in their craft, because we had um, Darren Gilshanen on last week and I've had Ben Matthews on a while ago, Mm -hmm. um, and both of them said similar things to you in that their um, technique and their training and what they teach is forever uh, forever training, forever changing um, and kind of moving with a new experience that they've had or new work that they've done and found something new. And I think that's really encouraging um, as someone who trains with those people to hear rather than just kind of being in like, um, you know, the Stanislavski method is never going to change. It's always going to be the same thing, but to have people that kind of go, you know what, this is what I'm teaching at the moment, but when I find something new, I'll let you know and we can kind of grow together. I think that is a great thing. Um, Yeah. I I just think it's really important for teachers to to always be learning and re-engaging with material you know mm. reading back over stuff that you've either written or that you've read years ago can impact you in a completely different way mm. you know so uh, there are there are textbooks that I you know early in my training didn't think much of and I've since gone back and read them and gone oh actually that little section there that's really that's pretty spot on and that's kind of how I think now so maybe there's more in this and going back and just re-examining you know young Linda's ideas about what (laughs) should and shouldn't be Uh, and I think that's a I think that's a great place to be as a teacher and Mm. I think being a teacher and a student at the same time gives our students heart because then they understand that we're not just you know just do it this way just do it because that's the thing yeah because it's not it's not the thing for everybody yeah that's definitely true and I think it it definitely kind of shows uh um I think what word do I want to use maybe like a maturity in that you are comfortable you are all comfortable enough to kind of say that yeah you know like what I'm saying right now could change in a couple of years time you know I think that is um just out of practice of practicing what your craft is and you know what you really want to be doing and being able to say that rather than being like my word is gold (laughs) (laughs) I may be I may be accused of saying that every now and then (laughs) but only when it's true (laughs) that's right I say you know take everything everybody says with a grain of salt even me except when I say (laughs) but I've even gone back and and looked at stuff and gone oh my god why don't I use that exercise anymore that's a really great exercise let's do that I get really excited by like, oh, the rediscovery of an exercise I haven't done for probably, you know, five, six years. Sure. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I really enjoy that mentality. Mm. <laughs> um, so in terms of um, the, the film work and stuff like that, um, how, how do you go about um, uh, coaching the actors that are involved in film and TV in a different way compared to the theatre scene? Uh, I think they're both pretty time sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, with the theatre work that I do, I'm often lucky that I get actors to see actors two or three times. Okay. So I might be there during the rehearsal process and then 
you know, working with them individually and then being able to give them feedback notes. So that's really great. In terms of film, the time-sensitive part of it is, you know, you've got three actors in front of you, they've just done a scene, which note do I give them before they do the scene again? <laughs> yeah, that's you right. Know? So, um, and, and sometimes you have the rehearsal, but you only have one rehearsal and it will be a full day of rehearsal and then you have to just hope that they're going to take that work into what they're doing on the film or, or the TV show. And sometimes that happens and <laughs> sometimes it's less successful. But, you know, and sometimes, uh, and what I, uh, what I say to my students a lot is, you know, we're very quick to make judgments about what actors are doing on film and television because it's set in stone. But they may not have taken the best take for dialect. Mm. Right? Yeah, and, definitely. And sort of the pennies drop and everyone goes, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you know... They may have taken the best take because of the light or they may have taken it because um, there was, you know, a glitch on the screen or, or whatever. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I, nowadays I try to give actors more of the benefit of the doubt. But being in there and watching how people can nail an accent and then you see the finished product and you're like, why didn't they take that well, yeah <laughs> you're like they did a really good job in the other yeah. takes. yeah it was really good it was really really good yeah um, I definitely agree with that um I recently um shot a short film that I'd written and I've just seen um a rough cut of it and in one of the scenes um in a cutaway to myself um, it, I knew it was I was like why did they put that take in it wasn't the best take the inf- my inflections were really off in the line and I thought then I thought well you know it was probably because the lighting or something like that was best in this take but there is really unless they unless I kick up a fuss and go you cannot use that take there is not a lot that I can do as an actor to kind of be like, can you just change that take because I don't like my voice in it, which is a shame, but it's reality. And I think um, you sometimes have to be okay with, you know, um, that that being out there and people thinking, oh, what what what, what, hap- what happened with that word <laughs> kind of right. thing. It is, it's just, it's life and you move on and then you just do the next project kind of thing. So. Yeah, and in, in theatre there's a lot more leeway because it's done and it's gone. Yeah. But once it's on film and everyone can watch it over and over and over again and then you're picking things up and you're going, oh, and they missed that word too and they didn't that word. And and then you hear the inconsistencies if you're really looking for them. Mm. Where actually if you heard it maybe in a theatrical context, you would forgive those things because you're just seeing it once and you're hearing the flow of the speech and you're listening or watching the performance or yeah definitely and also kind of thinking oh you know they're doing this in real time right now in that moment they could have wanted to cough or you know they they could have like seen something in the background that threw them off a little bit and you think oh that's okay they're in a play you know off they go right but film yeah you're right because it is all edited together and it's supposed to be the best of the best which is what we think, which right. it sometimes is not, you know. Yeah, and scary. I, you know what, and I use it as a cautionary tale too mm. to say to my students and my clients, that's why you have to be 
the best at this accent. Yes. So that it doesn't matter what take they put up there. It's always going to be on point. Mm. And also with uh, anything to do with acting, that is a, a reason to be constantly working at improving or you know um, keeping up your training because when you're in between projects and that sort of thing if you're not using those muscles you do get rusty and so when you go to set and think oh now I can start Mm -hmm. using all this again you go oh why is it not as good as before (laughs) (laughs) kind of thing Um, which is an interesting thing to discover when you do start kind of putting in all of that work. And it is a lot of work as well. But when you start doing that, you do see the results and you go, oh, right. this is what Linda's been telling me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the emails. Thank you for telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> you were right. Who would have thought all your years of experience? <laughs> I yeah, I have had those emails. They're oh, very, really? Oh, yeah, they're very funny. I love them. I love them to death. Yeah. Where I go, yes, that's what, it, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, just another one to the folder. <laughs> um, so in terms of um, what you're looking at, at the, in the future, um, are you going, are you looking at continuing to do voice coaching? Um, what, what is it that you are kind of um, moving forward into? Uh, well, you know, this year, <laughs> this year I have already worked on 13 shows. Oh my God. And I've just signed on to do two more. And I've done three short films. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year I did a bit of directing and, and went back to acting for a little bit. Amazing. So I'm, I'm looking at projects in the future that I might want to direct again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think that uh, I'm going to be missing out on any theatre shows <laughs> anytime soon, <laughs> yeah. um, which is a great position to be in. And oh, I, yeah. I love being in rehearsal rooms and I love working in Sydney, I think it's such a vibrant culture in the indie theatre at the moment. Mm, yeah, fantastic. definitely. Yeah. Um, and I'd love to um, do a bit more in film and television. That's I'm focusing on that at mm. the moment. And hopefully, um, you know, my agent and I have been talking about how to to push more into that sector. So. Yeah, yeah amazing! It's so great that we're in an industry where you can be doing one profession and then say, you know what, I actually have enough experience that I want to go and do that for a bit and also do this. And you can. Yeah. Whereas like other industries, <laughs> when you're doing this job, that's the job that you have and you kind of have to move up the ranks kind of thing. So I think it's always, it, it is very fulfilling creatively to kind of be, pick up all these things. Oh, there's our, there's our parking alarm. <laughs> I won't keep you for too much longer. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you being here and um, giving us your knowledge of the <laughs> voice. Um, so you're, you're doing a class at the hub at the moment, but right. you do do a fair few classes here as well. So I'm sure people can sign up to the newsletter yes they <laughs> and can keep an eye out yeah um and what is your website for your company as well it's www.vochovox.com.au yes yes that's right. <laughs> like, oh my god i never say that out loud <laughs> that's yeah okay. that's what it is all good well yeah. thank you so much for being here and we'll talk to you soon you're welcome thank you for having me